Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am thrilled to welcome Raquel V. Reyes to the podcast today. Raquel writes Latina protagonists. Her work has won a Lefty Award, an International Latino Book Award, been nominated for an Agatha Award, and optioned for film. Raquel's short stories appear in various anthologies, including the 2022 Best American Mystery and Suspense Anthology. Raquel, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, I want to mention, it's not in your official biography, but you also are co-chair of SleuthFest. You're in the Guppy Steering Committee. You're in the MWA National Board, and you do other <laughs> work within the um, community as well. So you are, um, you been doing work and you're well established and folks know who you are and may think it's different people <laughs> because <laughs> you're all over the place, but it's all the same person. Um, thank you for being on the podcast today. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's lovely to be here. It's going to be a good conversation, I hope. Yeah, I love to talk to writers about writing. So I'm going to start where I always start. Mm -hmm. When did you say to yourself, I want to write a novel? I don't know. You know, I started writing at a very young age. I wrote poetry when I was in my single digits. Um, I, in high school, I believe I might've written a screenplay. I certainly did in college. Um, I remember in high school, um, I took honors in AP English. And so there was a lot of, it was heavy on the writing. Um, mm -hmm. I wrote a couple of short stories then that got a response, you know, the, the, from the professor, like they got a response. I was like, Oh, well, maybe I could do this, you know? Yeah. Okay. But the novel, the idea of the novel, that large thing, that one, you know, you think you can do it. I might've started writing one. I might've started writing one and then put it down. I don't know. The novel was different because it is, it's, it's a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like a poem is a nice country lane. You know what I mean? <laughs> a screenplay is, you know, a trip to the supermarket, you know, but a novel is to climb Mount Everest. It's a different thing. So how did you um, build up the craft over time to be able to climb that mountain? You know, I always say that I have the do-it-yourself MFA. Um, I mm -hmm. took a long time getting there. I would have loved to have, take, to have gotten an MFA um, for sure in creative writing. I would have loved it um, or um, other things, but uh, it, it was priced out. It just didn't, mm -hmm. I couldn't do the math on it. <laughs> to make it yeah. work. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the do yourself thing, you know, I would love to say that I read a book that just super inspired me. And then I went and got craft books and I did that. I did it. Reading a craft book is not my thing. I don't enjoy it. I know other people very much love it. 
you know, um, what is it? Uh, bird, bird, bird by bird by Annie Lamont. Bird by bird. Uh, everybody loves Stephen King's. But I, I love that those books are there for the people who can use them, but that does not work for me. I learned by going to conferences. Um, I think I wrote my first novel. I sent it into a contest for a conference at uh, University of Georgia, which was um, the Henrietta Austin Conference, which is a shame that it is no longer. But it was a um, general fiction, you know, um, mm -hmm. conference. So there were lots of other genres there. And I remember going there. Yeah, my um, my manuscript placed as you know honorable mention or something like that, and um, I, that was the place I first got my first nibble from from an agent. But I just learned so much from sitting in on all yeah. of the panels and the discussions, mm -hmm. and those are the things that make my brain fire. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say that I sat there and took notes and then came home and read those notes. But for me, being in conference and hearing those things, and to some extent, it does work virtually in Zoom and places like that. I have certainly um, gotten some good things from this new era of, um, you know, pajama classroom, you know. But um, it, it fires something in my brain. It makes a connection. And then later on, when I am in solitude and at my desk, I'm able to recall that. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and for me, there really is something about that spark and that connection that I need to have. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I went to a lot of Sleuth Fest before I became a co-chair of Sleuth Fest. <laughs> um, and I... I learned, a, I just learned a lot. It, it, I learned some things that um, I won't use because I know that I'm not going to write, let's say a police procedural, love police procedurals, love to watch them on Acorn, you know, or uh, Ripbox, but I'm not going to write one. So, um, but I think there's also, uh, there's a, a lot to be gained from learning what you don't want to do. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, because there's something about like when you go, especially a, a, a conference that is specifically focused on mystery and specifically focused on craft, right? You know, there is that little bit of star quality that you're like, oh, I want to do that. Oh, that's so exciting. I've got to do that. Right. But then you have to look inside yourself and say, well, is that really what I write? Is that vo my voice? Does that work? for me and my style, you know, and to not force that. Mm -hmm. So again, it's good to know what you don't want to do. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Was it always crime fiction for you? Probably. I, like I said, I had written some um, plays and short stories. I loved crime fiction um, it was my read of choice. Mm -hmm. I probably, maybe when I first started, was a little bit more of the literary bent. Mm -hmm. But literary bent isn't plot-driven, right? And having read so much crime fiction, I knew that I had to get better at plot. Mm -hmm. And um, I think 
that a lot of times, and, and I think about this with my short stories, you know, when I first started writing short stories, um, short stories were just scenes and that doesn't make a story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's then when you, when you learn the craft and you learn about plot and you learn about pacing and you learn about structure, which mm-hmm. makes me think of one book that I actually do use, which I can circle back around. Um, you know, that's what pushed me into the really sticking with the crime fiction because I love that framework. It, it allows for security. It allows you, it allows me, I will not speak for others. It allows me to be creative, right? Mm-hmm. I, I know what needs to happen mm-hmm. and then I can fill it in with all of this other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I will say the one thing that has always been true, you know, from poems to uh, this culinary cozy series that I write, is it has always been heavy on culture and heavy mm-hmm. on commentary about social constructs and culture mm-hmm. and um, living in America while speaking two languages, mm-hmm. you know. That has always been a through line for me, for sure. And a through line that that is is contributing so much to the conversations. And, and you know, we, we can certainly talk about that. But I want to circle back for a second about your theater background. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked in theater for many, many years. So I'm always intrigued by people and, and how they move. Were you, you said you wrote plays. Were you a playwright, an actor? Which hats did you wear? Um, I... Um... I fell into directing. I don't know if I fell into it, if I was predestined for it. I was never going to be on stage. I'm perfectly comfortable with the mic, but I have no desire to pretend to be other people. None mm-hmm. whatsoever. Does not interest me at all. But I have many a time said, you need to do this walk online because we don't have somebody else to do it. And I can, and I'm comfortable with it and that's fine. But it doesn't, you know, spark joy in me to do it. Um, but I was very good at, I started as a stage manager and, and, um, this was in high school as a stage manager, excellent stage manager. I'm a very organized person. I have no problem telling other people what to do. (laughs) Um, and so I think I just naturally fell into directing. And so when I went in, to the program, I went into the program as directing. That 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 was what my major was going to be was directing. I didn't mess around with anything else. Along the way, you have to take playwriting. Along the way, you have to take stagecraft. I will say the excellent thing about playwriting, at least for when I got my degree, was the way we had to pick apart a script mm-hmm. and give an action word to every single line. I mean it gives you a skill, you know, mm-hmm. it, it allows you to look at things, um, to dissect them, to be critical about them, to not think that, um, lines are sacred. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to think of your manuscript as you're writing you know, as each word needs to be doing something, right? Mm -hmm. Now, 
beyond that, I think I feel comfortable writing uh, 65K, 70K. My contract is not that. My contract is 80,000, right? And I sometimes think with that and struggle with that of, oh, I would love to write lean. You know, I think uh, my predisposition would be to write lean. Um, maybe people read me and go, no, Raquel, that's a complete lie. What are you talking about? You don't know yourself. But um, I think about that a lot of, we want the words to paint that picture, but we also want those words to have actions behind them. Mm -hmm. So when my oh, Manco Mambo Murder got optioned for film, I was lucky enough to be able to have a meeting with the production company before we saw it. And I know that that's not always the case, but it just so happened to be um, my agent is really good and asked for it. We got that. So anyway, one of the comments that they came back to me was that the way I had written was very cinematic. Mm -hmm. So like they knew where my main character was at all times and what she was doing. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things that I've taken from playwriting and taken from the fact that I default to, if I can't um, have a short, swift uh, plot and story, um, at least I can always have her moving and have her in some type yeah. of action. Yes. Do you know what I'm yes. saying? Like, yes. yes. You know, yeah. she walked out the door or she sat down or she slammed her hand on the table or she turns, you know. So sometimes my action turns to that. The action doesn't necessarily propel the plot forward, but it is still being active on, yeah. on the page. Yes. And, and uh, you know, I, I also think that uh, from years of sitting in plays and rehearsals and everything else, the three-act structure, you know, just the way things go, becomes second nature. I mean, you you know, I didn't have to learn inciting incidents or three-act structure because I'd been going to theater and, and you know, talking to people about it. I, I also found it interesting when you said that you learn better in a conference. And, and I'm just thinking that because rehearsal rooms and people and sort of that energy you get from others who are focused on the same thing, that magic that happens, maybe something that feeds you creatively as, you know, a legacy of your it, you theater know, it, do, it does. I have to have, I have to hear and I have to write for something to sit with me. Right. Mm -hmm. So there does have to be an action. I can't just um, consume it. It mm -hmm. doesn't, it, it doesn't make that connection for me. So I do think being in the, in a classroom of sorts um, allows me because I will, even if I'm not physically taking notes, I'm taking doodles. There's something about, you know, one word will trip me or something and then I'll write a pyramid and do a doodle or something. And, and there's an action about that that makes it stick in my head. But mm -hmm. I, I wanna go back to the, um, the three acts. I remember, um, 
that was a difficult because like like you had mentioned, you know, you just kind of know it because you've done it and you've heard it and it's, you know. Um, when I was first starting out, that was a that was a difficult concept to put into practice um, because it seemed very rigid, right? Mm-hmm. And it didn't have flow. You know, it's like block one, block two, block three. Back to the one craft book that I do use, which is, eh, yeah, okay, is um, Save the Cat. Oh. For novels. Yeah. Now, I got the book. I looked at it. It was a little difficult. It was good because there were visuals and there were charts and there were graphs and then they, okay, great, great, great. But, you know, I didn't really, really understand it. Until I watched a couple of videos. Again, we got to go to that, you know, I have to hear things. Uh, videos by uh, I, whoever the writer for that one is. I want to call, I want to say her name is Jamie, but I don't, I'm, I have to go run and get my book to find out. Anyway, then probably thanks to Sisters in Crime, either Guppies or Sisters in Crime, I got um, put on to that there was an Excel document using Save the Cat that you could drop your word count into and it would tell you where all of those pinch points and all those things could hit. Wow. And when that happened, that's when I really started cooking with fire. Because it validated what I was doing and I no longer had doubt. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I could I could look at that as a guide and say, oh, I'm on the right course now. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be worrying about act two and act three. Because I'm already naturally hitting it where I need to be hitting it. Right. 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 Yeah. So all those little tools, I think Mm -hmm. I have gathered those tools from being in community with other people. Mm -hmm. Being in conversation with other um, writers, with going to conferences, with being engaged in um, online communities. You know, those things kind of cross your path. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, I'm not very woo woo, but I do believe sometimes those things cross your path exactly when you need them to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. But so that really helped me have confidence that I was, that I could do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and yeah. I mean, I think you always have self, some degree of self doubt. I think that that's healthy. Right. But um, it certainly, it, it lowered the volume on that so that I could get to the business of writing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and stop being in the head of, oh, am I doing it right? Right. You are doing it right. Yes. Fix it in edits. But for the most part, you're doing it right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what is your process like for, for, for writing a book? I, I mean, so you, you. Your first book was published two years ago. Is that right? 2021. 
2021. Yeah. All right. So last year, um, was that your first book you'd written or was that the first book you published? That was, that was the first book I traditionally published. Um, okay. I did publish a book. I self-published a book, okay. which we can talk about one of, one of the things, you know, what did you learn along the way? I learned, I don't want to self-publish. Yeah. So I appreciate that exercise. That taught me a lot. (laughs) Another valuable thing to know. It's great. It's great to know what you don't want to do. (laughs) So, um, so my process is that I have a deadline because thankfully I have a contract. (laughs) That helps. (laughs) So here's the thing. I am a slow writer. It will take me 10 months to write a book. But my manuscript is the first draft, the second draft, and the third draft all in one. Okay. And so I'm methodical. Let's change that from being slow to being methodical. Mm -hmm. I write every morning that I am home. If I'm away at a conference, I, I don't write. Um, but every day that I am home, I try to put in um, one and a half to two hours in the morning. On the weekends, I usually put um, three or four hours. And I keep a Excel spreadsheet with a lot of things in it. Character names. Sometimes I drop links in there from research that I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, on my first manuscripts in my first book, I used to use it to um, work out my chapters because I wanted my uh, chapter links to be consistent. And I didn't really quite have the feel for what that was. So I did keep good um, data on that till I got used to it. Now I don't do that any longer. I don't need to do it, but I did when I first began. It It was a good thing to have. But what I have is an accountability sheet and it's the date. It is the time I started, the time I ended, the word count I ended with, and then whatever the math is for the actual numbers I wrote. Yeah. I don't care about the actual number of words I wrote. I don't care because drop by drop, you get there and they build up. Mm-hmm. But what that does do for me is it shows me a pattern and it gives me confidence. I will be going back to confidence time and time. It gives me confidence. So mm-hmm. when you first start, I hate the middle of the book, the muddy middle. I hate it. I'm sorry. I know other people are love, 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 hate it. Like <laughs> I get through it and I'm like, oh my God, I'm slogging through this. I'm can't I just write the end? Oh, please. Right. (laughs) Anyway, that's when that accountability chart is the most important Mm -hmm. because writing 25 K is a breeze for me. I can get to that 25 K. Right. And then there's that middle. And then the last 25 K pretty easy. Right. But it's that middle 40, 50, okay? So it shows me that I'm getting there. Because 
those word counts might be low every day. Like some days it might be 250. On a weekend, it might hit to 1,200. Great, right? But after two, three weeks, all of those add up to a big chunk. And I can go, Mm -hmm. oh, I am getting there. Yeah. So it's a visual that I can see. It's accountability because I know when I've missed a couple of days. I mean, I bank in days for life, right? Family member needs something. Something happens at work. Something happens in my professional life that requires me to use my writing time to do promotion stuff or like I call admin stuff. Right. I kind of bank in that time there, right? But I can't let that go too far. I can't let that become a pattern, right? So, okay, you can have two days that you've got off schedule, but you need to come back and bring it around and get back on. Yeah. So one other thing I will tell you about my, um, how I write though, I write with a notebook beside me. And in that notebook, I take little notes for either things I need to come pick back up, something I need to research. I don't need to spend time on it right now. There's a question I have. I put that there. Sometimes it's just, sometimes it's doodles and I look back and go, what did I mean by that? (laughs) Right? Sometimes it's that idea of, oh, maybe this person should be uh, the, you know, the bad guy or at least look like the bad guy, you know, like all of those little notes in there. And, and um, I have found as I go into now going into writing my fourth book in the series that that notebook is really helpful. That Mm -hmm. is like really all that I need is to just allow myself to stay on the page because I have written it down and I can come back to it and I don't have to worry about it. I'm not going to lose it. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. a good percentage of the time, you know, it's not something that's that important or that I may use, but at the time you certainly think it is. You think it's golden. You're like, Oh my goodness, this is going to make it brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Take me to the time I don't end up using it, but, but it's not stuck in your brain that exactly. way. You're, you're, you're getting it out and yeah. letting the universe do with it what it will. Do you have an, um, do you plot? I mean, do you have a, how much of an idea for each book do you have when you start? I'm, I'm a, it's, it's a, I'm a discovery writer. It's a skeleton plot. I know, uh, I mean, I do write a, a, a cozy series, amateur slow series. So my characters are recurring, but I do bring in new characters um, with each book. Um, so I kind of know what's going to happen. I know what the crime is. I don't necessarily know the details of the crime or the twists. Um, but you know, I have a general idea and I usually begin with, there's going to be one scene that's going to let me know the feeling and set the tone for the, that book. Mm-hmm. So in Mango Mambo and Murder, it was when um, the socialite falls into the chicken salad at the women's club meeting. Had that scene, I was like, I, I know. I got everything else, right? <laughs> in um, Calypso Corpses and Cooking, 
it is um, the body that's found in front of a fake tombstone in front of her house that she's just in her house minding her own business and there's ah and you look out there this body that was that scene um and the one that's going to come out next year uh bomba breadfruit and betrayal I'm trying to think what that scene was i think that was more a feeling that one happens in old san juan uh puerto rico which i spent a lot of time and I knew the street that it was going to happen in. And that, that one was more about a feeling. Like I just knew, mm-hmm. okay, it's the cobblestones. It's the, mm-hmm. the Piragua guy. Like there was, there were things that I just knew that I was like, okay, I have the feeling for this. I know what, where this is going. And as you said, you're writing a series. So you've got, you know, uh, cast of characters you do need to bring in new ones so because otherwise you'd kill everyone off in the book if it's long running series um do you are you having fun with this like are you having fun building the world and is there anything that's surprising you as you keep going and it keeps you know changing and morphing you know (laughs) i certainly hope the series goes on forever sure um I wish that it didn't take me 10 months to write it because I have other stories I do want to write, but okay. I have a day job and other things. I'm not, a, I'm not living off of my writing. Hopefully that will come at some, some point. You know, I think that I could, um, I would, I am amazed, um, by people who write two series, you know, two books in a year. And then those that write four books a year, I just like, I don't, I, it doesn't even fit in my head. I'm like, I can't comprehend that. How do you do that? Um, but yeah, I would like to write, there's some other stories I would like to write in crime fiction genre that don't mm-hmm. fall under the amateur sleuth. I think okay. everything that I want to write will always have a touch of humor into it. In it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go noir. I'm not going to go too dark. I'm always going to have a little play and, and, and fun with it. But there are other things that I would like to write with it, you know. Yeah. With characters who are starting to sort of show up in your brain and, you, you know. know. I've, I've had, um, I have a PI that I've had for a while. Um, actually, there's two PIs that I have that are fun that I would like to develop. But, um, yeah, I, that's, that's um, I hope that I can get there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I have the 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 bandwidth with the other things that I do to be able to do that. Yeah, I, I think that that's an important thing to think about and to um, acknowledge for people. You know, it, because you're also taking great care at writing these books. You want them to be the best that they can. So it's going to take you a while to do it. Um, And, you know, there are only 24 hours a day and only seven days a week. And there's a lot of life to fit in that time. Well, especially since um, I feel a great responsibility as a Latina. This has been my mission since day one, since I entered into this mystery writing community, was to have Latina, Latinx representation in the genre that I loved. So now that I have 
stepped up to that professional level. I do feel a great responsibility about what I put on the page, how I put it on the page, Mm -hmm. what I choose to, one of the things I like to say is, you know, what is the hill that you're willing to die on? You know, Mm -hmm. I I spend a lot of time thinking about those things, Mm -hmm. right? I don't, I think it's just in my nature. So I don't want to put it off that it's some um, highfalutin thing or whatever. I just think that that is, I take um, things with a level of seriousness and a level of responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think, I know, forget, I don't think, I know, um, I just can't write something I don't have that privilege to just write mm-hmm. something and skip away from it yep. and let it fall where it may. Like I'm really thinking about the things that I'm, that I'm writing. We are, or seem to be in a golden age for representation um, in certain ways. Um, you know, there are more uh, crime writers of color with series and, and doing things, more queer crime writers, but what you're saying is, uh, you know, I I am privileged enough that I don't need to think about that <laughs> in the same way um, for myself. I can certainly advocate for others, but um, it is a responsibility to be forging paths and to be trying to normalize what should be normal and isn't. And it's it's not as if it's getting easier for people. It continues to be a struggle with some pushback that is just... Um, I'm not going to say it's unexpected, but it's, it's, I can only imagine how exhausting it is. Um, I'm pretty lucky. I I don't think it has been terrible. I know. um, But I think that's also because I'm, I'm in a smaller pond, right? Mm -hmm. I'm writing culinary codes. Mm -hmm. Um, My readership is not as large as let's say someone who is writing a thriller. Right. Thriller contracts get the big bucks. They get more advertising. There's there's um, more at, at at risk, right? Failure and success, right? Bigger, bigger, right? So I don't know that um, that I think that there are some people who get quite a lot of public static on a larger. Mm-hmm scale than I do. Mm-hmm. But yes, I have gotten it. Yes, I read the reviews. Um, yes, um, there's coded language and microaggressions that people are like, oh my God. I'm like, mm, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's there, right? Yeah. And specifically yep. that comes with the fact that I have Spanish in my stories because that is the world that I live in. I live Mm -hmm. in a bilingual world. I live in Miami. Um, I write about Miami. Um, I am probably hearing Spanish, if not 80% of my day, 50% of my day, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the majority of the population in um, the county that I live in are Spanish people. Mm -hmm. So I want to write that into my stories because I want to normalize it. Mm -hmm. 
it's not just Miami that lives like that. There are many other places in the United States that have communities that are not speaking English primarily. Mm-hmm. Be that the Vietnamese community, be that a, Fili- a Filipino community, um, be that a Mexican community, uh, be that a native, you know. So I just think we need to be better. And by we, I mean Americans need to be better because that's who my audience is at this moment, right? We need to be better about not having a knee-jerk reaction to a language other than English. Right. Period. Right. They're not saying stuff about you. They're not making jokes about you. It doesn't mean anything. It is just a form of communication. Right. And you don't have to worry. (laughs) Right. Right? And that's one of the things that I've mentioned before is that I don't do direct translations unless it's required, unless mm-hmm. it's something that's really, really absolutely crucial to the plot and to the story. Otherwise, I translate through context because mm-hmm. that is how we learn yeah. language other than the one you're speaking. Actually, it's how we mm-hmm. learned our own first language mm-hmm. is you learn through context and you learn through doing, right? So if my character is in the kitchen and you know she has a fork and a knife in front of her and she's cutting a fruit and I give you a word, you're going to guess that that word is either the fruit or the fork or the knife, right? Right. And if I use that often enough, you're going to get that, right? Yes. Yeah, that's some of the thoughts that go through my head when I'm writing. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um... Do you think we are in this golden age? Am I being delusional um, about opportunities? I hope that this is a the future and not just a trend. So I think that, that by saying, yeah, yeah. I, so I think by saying that it's a golden age implies that it's going to end, right? So that this is the this is like oh the golden age of cinema, right? Yeah. Well, we no longer make films like that, right? You know, we no longer have, um, you know water ballets and, and, you know, (laughs) chorus girls and all that. But anyway, you know, so I, I do feel that there has been a shift. Mm -hmm. Um, I've spoken about it. Others have spoken about it. I'm thrilled that there's a shift. We need to continue to put this pressure on because we know that we are not where we need to be yet. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about there's room at the table for all people. Right. Mm -hmm. We just got to keep making that table longer and longer. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, but um, maybe the food that's being served at the table, maybe that's not there that we haven't worked on that. Maybe we have elongated the table, but we're still not feeding everybody. at the table. Right. Right. You know, so, you know, talk about advertising budgets, talk about promotion, talk about, I mean, my goodness, you know, what is happening with um, Barnes and Noble right now, you know? So they're not going to bring in hardcover books that, that that author has not had a proven sales. Well, how do you get those proven sales? Right. 
So, so debut authors, and especially debut authors of color, are pushed back and pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, right? Right. And the work right. that has to be done to say, oh, well, they'll carry your book if, it, if somebody comes and asks for it. So all of that time that has to be spent talking to your readers and cultivating your readers to get them to go out there and, and ask. And not all readers will feel that they can do that. Right. There's this very right. small percentage of people and personalities who are going to be out there asking and voicing and so forth and so on. We know this because I think we all as writers, we've been told to have all these newsletters and to cultivate this newsletter list and so forth. And I, great. We do a list. I send out my newsletter. What, you know, and I say things like, Hey, if you've got my book, um, sh take a picture of it and tag me. I like, if you see my book in a bookstore or at the library, or you take it with you on vacation, take a picture, you know, tag me in it. I'm not getting a whole lot of that in my social media or getting emails or any of those things. Just because we have been trained to do that as authors and writers, that doesn't mean that the readers are trained and feel comfortable doing that. Right. Not right. everyone is going to be on book talk. Uh, on uh, on bookstagram feeling comfortable about that that's a very small percentage of it right and i say that because one of the most important things to be able to have that reach as a bipoc in bipoc authors to have that reach is to have visibility mm -hmm. it's not enough to have the contract and to write the book and that the book gets published if the book is not right. on shelves, if the book is not visible, if the book is not being promoted and boosted and word of mouth and so forth and so on. So I feel like where we are is that next step. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, yes, there certainly are more contracts being out there. There's certainly that part of it has become a little bit more equitable. But it's now all of these other layers that we have to continue to work for and make happen. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the Barnes and Noble conversation, uh, as a cozy writer, um, you also recognize, you know, that the cozy shelves, which used to be whole sections of Barnes and Noble are now down to like three shelves. Right. Um, because the different stores can, can pick what they're doing. And, and it's, um, for readers, you may not be, they, who are listening to this, they may not understand what this distribution looks like, but this is a very challenging thing for authors because Barnes and Noble is a very important part of the book distribution world. Um, and so it's, not helpful that they're, you know, consolidating shelving and, and not making things available unless you ask. Because as you said, a lot of people won't ask. They won't. Yeah. 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 Um, wonderful point on golden age. And I will stop using that. <laughs> I, 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 um, I do think it's a, a encouraging time, but again, we all have to be mindful and support and 
and do take pictures of books and talk about them in social media and um, support each other um, because that's that moves it forward as well. Um, it's it's a you know word of mouth is the best way to sell books and it's every little bit helps um, for sure. Um, so you're working on your fourth book now. My third book is about to be handed in, so they'll be, you know, back to some edits and past pages and stuff. But I'm now, um, January is a little bit of my off time. About the end of January, I will start plotting and putting down real thought into it. Yeah. And have to be sitting at the keyboard to do that. (laughs) And, and you mentioned that your first book was optioned for film, which is huge, huge and exciting and, and another whole journey <laughs> um, that, you know, you'll see what happens and things like that. But um, that's an exciting possibility as well. It is. I hope that it happens. Um, you know, I mean, that's, that's a whole nother podcast. If you want to talk about Latinos in Hollywood and what Hollywood um, says they want, and then what Hollywood does. So I will say I'm not holding my breath, but I certainly am um, hopeful. And okay. like I said, the production company that bought it, um, I'm really pleased with them, and I think that they will do right by it. So, Well, fingers crossed for you, because that would be incredibly exciting. Um, what do you wish you'd known earlier on in your writing career and in your publishing career? I wish I knew that promotion and publicity are two different things. Mm -hmm. That as much fun as it is to think about designing stickers and bookmarks, don't sell books. Um, You know, um, I wish I had a, a better understand it's not a better understanding i wish i had a um a a like for algorithms like that it's just tedious and annoying to me you know there are people who do it well and love it and really kind of you know um deep dive and and really get a high from doing it i don't whatsoever Mm -hmm. i just yeah, I, I understand that it is part of the business that you just have to do, but yeah, I would, I would, I love doing interviews. I love doing talks. I, I just started doing book talk where I'm doing some book recommendations of what I'm reading and so on. Those things I enjoy, but I don't think they are going to translate into big sales, Right. Where if you can figure out the algorithms to push your book into the top searches. That's right. Right. That does. But I I don't have the stomach for it. It does not spark joy in me at all. And I wish I had, I wish I had a big enough advance that I could pay somebody to do that for me. But I don't. And so here we are (laughs) with me doing my book talk. (laughs) I mean, my book talk. 
good for you for doing book talk, though. I mean, that's, you know, it it feels like it's a thing and it's an opportunity. And, and you well, know, it took I, me a while. I had to study it for a long while. I was not certain that I wanted to do that. I needed to figure out how to make it authentic because yeah. I'm 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 I, I'm pretty big on that. I think um, when you're not authentic, it shows. And also mm-hmm. it it feels forced and then I'm not going to do it. So I had to, I studied it for a good while to figure out what is it that I enjoyed about the platform and how I could do that. So it wasn't a labor, right? So that it could be a love and not a labor. Oh, that's a great way of putting it. Um, If you, if folks have an opportunity to hear Raquel or look online to see um, acceptance speeches at the lefty, your acceptance speech there was wonderful. Um, And, and the passion and the, um, the way you have conversations is refreshing and important. Um, And also obviously your love for this, this writing journey is, is contagious and, and uh, it shows. Yeah. Um, what, what is the best piece of writing advice you would give somebody? It's a muscle. Yeah. It is a muscle. That is all that it is. And you have to exercise that muscle if you want to use it. Your accountability spreadsheet, um, sounds like a good, thing for people to take on or a notebook, something to keep track, um, to make sure that you are showing up for yourself. I mean, and that's what it sounds like you're doing. I'm showing up for me. This is what I want. So I'm going to show up, fit it into the rest of my life. There's a great, um, quote, I believe it's Isabella Allende who says, um, show up, show up, show up. And the news will show up too. And um, for a long time, I had that printed out and I had it on my door when I wasn't showing up, but it was there. It was kind of like there, you know, pointing the finger at me going, you know what you have to do. Yeah. And I feel that you can't complain if you're not doing the thing that you know you need to do. <laughs> like you have no right to complain if you're not doing the right. thing that you like, you know, if you don't know, fine. But now you do know and you do know that you have to show up. You have to sit there and, and all it takes is an hour or two a day. Right. Right. Well, fear of success is a real thing. Sure. You know, the fear of, of trying and succeeding or, or, or succeeding on one term and not another term is, is a real thing. And I think that that can also daunt people. Um, but you're absolutely right. If you want to write. If you're looking at this as, as success, then you don't need to be in this business. You need to be writing for the love and the joy of it, right? Yes. And so you're showing up because you want to get something done, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't <coughs> you can't go on the query search and the agent search or even the self-published journey. You can't do that until it's finished. Yeah. And in all likelihood, you need to have finished at least one or two of those before it is readable and you know, and you, and you know your craft. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's, absolutely. that's one thing that I really want, like I would tell, you know, writers who are just starting out, 
you know, is like your goal should not be, I want a bestseller. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Right. right? Yep. I feel like, Absolutely. you know, your goal should be, I want to finish this story. Yeah. And when you've done that, then you get another goal, right? I am big on achievable goals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to set myself up for failure. And it's not lowering the bar or whatever you want to say that. It's being realistic. It's being pragmatic, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Step one, finish it. (laughs) And I was not always good with finishing that. Like that is something I had to buckle down and work that muscle to finish it. Because yeah. like I said, I can get to 25K, no problem. I have probably three or four great story ideas that stopped at 25K. Because yeah. I got frustrated or, um, you know, bored or think that I should just be able to sell that as quickly and so forth. And No. These are the rules. You got to finish it. And I did have to learn that. I had to learn that. And that was a hard thing to learn. Because I just wanted it to be done at 25K. Well, slogging through that middle, it's when you, you know, hit that molasses and you're sort of trudging through it's like that's uh that's when it gets real i mean it's it's hard but that's, it's that's when you move from it being a hobby to it being professional yeah and yeah. um and it's okay if you just want to write stories for your own self mm-hmm. that is perfectly yes noble and wonderful But if you want to move to that professional level, you have to shift your brain into thinking a little differently. Mm -hmm. And it does become goal and task. And not to think of it as labor, because work can be love, right? But it is work and it is a thing that you have to do. Yes. It's not a magic. You can't think it into existence. You have to spend the time on it. Yes. With it. Excellent advice and, and support and, uh, and suggestions. And, you know, um, I love the idea of your spreadsheet, the spreadsheet that you're talking about where it can sort of validate where you are. But what I'm also loving about this conversation, Raquel, is that you're talking about the different ways we all learn, the different ways we all do things, and that there's no right way. You know, people might have said to you, well, read these three craft books. If that doesn't work for you, then that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. So you've got to find what works for you, and that's the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. Absolutely. I just found a lot of that being in community, you know, yeah. Being in, um, when Crime Writers of Color came along, um, thank you, uh, Kelly Garrett, Gigi Pandian, and Walter Mosley for making uh, that into existence. Um, You know, I was on the verge of quitting writing, but staying in community as an advocate, Mm -hmm. right? But being able to be in that community, in that safe space, um, 
allowed me to learn some new things that I needed to learn. Right. Yeah. So yeah. even though I thought I had perseverance, right. Being in community where we're, we're really talking about perseverance, you know, we're really talking about, you know, sharing stories and hearing, getting knocked down and how many different times you rejections you had and, and a whole bunch of stuff. Right. That certainly deepened my commitment to getting it done. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And not giving up. Yep. Yeah. So Crime Writers of Color, we've talked about on this podcast several times, but uh, it's definitely an organization that if you are a crime writer of color, you should seek out and join. It's an amazing organization that's only, I think, three years, three years old, old and has hundreds of members and a huge impact on the genre um, in so many ways. Um, and there's also queer crime writers, um, Queer Writers of Crime, Queer queer Writers of Crime, which is um, going through resurgence. And again, you, you know, Sisters in Crimes there, MAMWA, there's a lot of organizations, but sometimes you have to find your micro community too, who really maybe not understand your exact path, but can you can resonate with conversations or they've done something before and, and you feel like that's your journey as well. And so, you know, seek out organizations like that. Seek out conferences. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the Miami area, go to Slewfest and meet people, talk to people, you know. Um, that's another way to build a community because we, without community, writing is just not yeah. possible. I, I do believe you have to have several different communities. We want, you know, we, I know that the goals for sister in crime is to be intersectional. And I mm -hmm. think that it's important that we continue to highlight how sisters of crime is intersectional to show mm -hmm. that. Um, because I don't know that people always understand what that term means. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you need to have those smaller safe space communities where mm -hmm. you can be your authentic self without any masking going on. Right. Because I think right. when you're in a larger community where you are trying to be open and thoughtful and intersectional and so forth, I do think sometimes we hold a little bit back for mm -hmm. our own safety and so forth. Yeah. So yeah, I think you need the two things. And again, that goes back to the same thing that there is room at the table. There's room for both of those things. It doesn't have to be only one, you know, it's yeah. dialectical. Two things can exist at the same time. Right. 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 And sometimes right. The, you need those two things to, to create the balance that you need. Yeah. I had a friend when I was working in theater and, and, we're talking about some of these issues and um, we talked about that table metaphor. And she said, Julie, I don't want to be invited to the table that exists. I want to blow up that table. I want to build a new table with the community. I want us all to plan the meal together. I want us all to shop together. I want us all to cook together and I want us all to eat together because the table that exists doesn't isn't for me 
And I've always thought about that. Like we, we, and I think that that's part of the change and part of the resistance to change is that we're saying this doesn't work anymore. And so if we're going to be inclusionary and if we're going to think at the, about the world in an intersectional lens, we really have to do it. But that is uncomfortable for a lot of people. So let's talk about that. Okay. So when I talk about that table, right, this metaphorical table, right, that we, that we, that we've all used um, so so many times. I think of it as being up on a platform, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's really kind of this elitism because they're the mm -hmm. ones who have had the power. And so we want to bring chairs around it. We might even be able to lengthen that and put in a leaf, right? Right. So all of that kind of dining room thing of like this elitism, this royal kind of ness where you have this table that expands and you have leaves that get put into it. But in reality... When you think about that really blossoming it out and going out, it's people bringing other tables to add into that table. Right. So there's that table that's been um, hand-carved and has um, a beautiful uh, tapestry hung over it that was woven, right? right? Or you have the table that really is just a mat on the floor with cushions around it because you're going to eat off of banana leaves or whatever, you know. Like to 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 think about it as, um, yeah, like as changing, and I do think of it as visually changing from being this very formal, um, mm -hmm. you know, invitation only place right. to right. bringing in these other forms of being, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And dismantling the platform. Yeah. Using yeah. the platform to build other tables. <laughs> please. Please. Yeah. I mean, that platform doesn't serve any of us. No. Um, well, and I it does. It keeps a certain few people in power, but it does. <laughs> it does. But, but when we, is, there are a few, num there are few. Yeah. You know, w we have to be more, um, we have to share more. How about that? Yes. Yes. And we yeah. have to recognize that keeping the status quo, even if it, we feel like it benefits us, um, it doesn't actually. So we need to really work on uh, dismantling it all. I, I, you know, this is, this is part of the work. Um, this intersectional lens that you talked about is um, so important and is part of what Sisters in Crime is good at, but also needs to work on. And that's, you know, recognizing that one, one path is not the only path, that there's a lot of different ways of, um, of maneuvering around the world and that different people have a different journey than you do. And some of them are struggles because of race, language, you know, um, you know, I would love to see, and I'm not volunteering for this job, I'm giving this idea freely for someone else who wants to take it on, but for Sisters in Crime to do an anonymous survey and then use that data to show people how they intersect with the rest of the community, right? So you take, I take, I'll take the survey and I'm given a number so that I know I can come back and look at my data and see how I interact with the other people, right? Because oh, we want to know that, right? We want to know. We just, we want to know. 
like what we have in common and and what we don't have in common, or if I'm special or average or whatever, all of those things, because we're human, right? We're human, that's our curiosity, right? But it would be curious, and you need somebody who really understands um, statistics and surveys and all that stuff to do that. To be able to show our members how many times we intersect with one another. Right. Because we might think, Oh, I'm just a Latina, but there's all different ways in which I intersect. Right. That's right. But we don't necessarily have that. We don't necessarily know that we aren't, you know, face to face in community and having moments where those vulnerabilities come forth. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, that is a beautiful long-term big project that I think might be valuable to the members to yeah. be able to get, because not everybody wants to get on the, um, the boards and the forums and say, um, I'm queer or I'm a victim, um, of fraud or whatever. Maybe that would show that your intersexual was, maybe you have shame about that, or maybe you're a survivor you know, and you don't necessarily, you know, wave that flag, right? So to be able to have that secure and anonymous way, and then to show how many times we intersect, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's things in my own personal life and my family life and so forth that I don't go around talking about. I'm a private person. But I do know that some of the things, I mean, I just got, uh, I mentioned something in a, in a, in a small, uh, group, uh, and someone who has been through something similar recognized it and sent me a message privately offline just to say, Hey, if you ever need to talk, I think we've been through something similar. Wow. So, because I had assumed something about this person. Because all we know are these online personalities and that thing right. that we put forward and that avatar and so forth. And so forth. Right, right, right. So, I mean, that's where we can move forward into being in true community. And by community, that means that we recognize each other's strengths and weaknesses and their needs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because sometimes we aren't able to recognize people's needs and we make judgments about people because they're behaving a certain way. That's right. That's right. Back at deep. Julie. Whoa. (laughs) Well, I'm just thinking, you know, we did the survey and can we, you know, extrapolate or figure stuff out? So I'm going to talk to people about this because I do. I, I think that idea of understanding, mm-hmm. um, that if you have an invisible disability, for example, exactly. um, there's a lot of people who, who also have invisible disabilities. And so there's, there's a, a connectedness that we don't know because we think we, we maneuver on our own. And, and so how can we connect and, and just, I don't, you know, this is complicated stuff, but it, it's a humanity. I mean, it's, it's humanity. At, we are yeah. complicated beings. It gets yeah. messy. Um, but I think being um, thoughtful 
leading with, with, uh, you know, leading with kind of like this, this deep thought, <laughs> mm-hmm. at least, um, puts you in a place to, uh, be open and welcoming mm-hmm. to these discussions, right. Yeah. Instead of being yeah. closed. Right. To it. Right. 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 Yeah. Yes. Yes. No, that's, I actually think this is a wonderful <laughs> direction for our conversation to go in. Um, and an important one. Um, and I appreciate this conversation tremendously, Raquel. This has been great. Yeah, I've had a good time. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.